All right. Welcome to the Cod Cabin. Uh, I'm Logan. We have Jack, Jesse Hahn, and Adam Bass. Today we're going to be talking about Richard Neal, his district, and the primary election uh, happening there in a couple months. So I think um, we'll start with uh, Richard Neal himself. Uh, I'll I'll hand it over to you guys. Is there anything uh, particularly noteworthy that, noteworthy that you found when uh, researching that made him uh, interesting? Well, I mean, he was a, he's, he teaches a journalism class, but... <laughs> Um, no, Richard Neal is a very interesting figure. Uh, for those who are unaware who he is, he is the congressional uh, representative of Massachusetts' first district that contains Springfield and all of Berkshire County. Uh, in terms of where he resides in the House, he is the head of the Ways and Means Committee. That means he decides where the money goes to certain states, as well as how certain bills get processed within the House. Uh, he is a very interesting character of, in terms of a congressman. Um, but, and, and something I was interested in reading about him is his rather unique approach to Massachusetts politics versus the other members of the House in, in Massachusetts. Jack, yeah, we were talking earlier on about how uh, he's more conservative than s some people may think. Yeah, definitely. Neil is the most conservative member of the Massachusetts delegation, according to GovTrack, which surprised me. One thing that I thought was interesting about Richie Neal, he's been serving since 1988, and he ran pretty much unopposed in the primary and the general for what was then Massachusetts's second congressional district because the incumbent tipped him off that he was going to be retiring. And so Neal was able to get ahead in terms of fundraising and consolidating support. And um, his only opposition in both the primary and the general was a Communist Party candidate who got about 18% of the vote. He was a Communist Party candidate. Yeah. Um, his name, uh, Louis Godina. Don't know much about him. Doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, you can't make it to Wikipedia, then what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, so Jesse, and, and feel free to interrupt me as well, guys. Um, I want to talk about, well, first of all, aside from Neil, his, um, his, his go-to policy, and that's fiscal policy. Compared to the other Massachusetts uh, uh, representatives, they're more inclined to talk social issues. Uh, you have your McGoverns, your Presleys, your Kennedys, and even at times Seth Malton. But Neil is quiet. He's a quiet man who likes to talk money. Um, Jesse, you did a map on Richard Neal's district. Um, what was it, in 2018? Uh, yes, 2018 and 2012. Yeah, and um, oh, go ahead. Oh, just go ahead. Oh, you're too polite. Um, but but yeah, it's it's very clear he built a machine in Springfield. And in our first episode, we talked about um, machines in Massachusetts and how it's all about pick your city, pick your suburb, just run with it. And Jesse, if you could just go into detail about uh, how Neil or Neil won. Yeah, um, you know Neil's 2012 victory was a little bit uh, a little wishy-washy if you look at the map, but. In terms of the numbers, he won a pretty significant uh, portion of the vote. I think he got near 75%. Um, the southwestern portion of the district was uh, mainly won by this um, author. I, I can't recall his name right now. Um, and there was also a register of deeds in the um, middle part of the Berkshires, I believe, uh, Mr. Nusiforo. And I don't think he won um, a lot of precincts. Um, I think he just won three or four. And in 2018, uh, Neil faced um, a lawyer, an activist, 
um, and he won uh, pretty significantly. He won with 71%. Was this a primary? He, uh, yes, this is a primary. Okay. And he carried Springfield, um, this was surprising, 76 to 24, which is a five-point overperformance. And despite the fact he was mayor in the 80s, he clearly still has the poll. He clearly still has uh, the favoritism, the hometown um, the hometown, hometown preference that um, gives him that might in the city. Yeah, I, I saw your maps, and I was, uh, I, I think I expected it to see, to see uh, Hampton County uh, go uh, be one of Richard Neal's strongest uh, parts of the district, the, the strongest part of the district for him, because uh, it's where uh, his old district from the two, in the 2000s, uh, when it was like Hampton County and like southern parts of Worcester County, uh, it, Hampton County was that in that, and then this district, of course, Hampton County and Berkshire County. So Neil kind of has this base in the in uh, Hampton County that's been carrying him over the line in all of his uh, all of his recent elections. Yeah, and look, and and it doesn't it doesn't hurt him that he's picking up voters in Berkshire County that are very uh, comfortable for him. Uh, Berkshire County, relatively white, relatively older voters. Um, you do ha- it, it's more liberal than Hampton and than Hampton and the parts of Worcester he had in uh, the second district. But it's weird because Neil, as you said, Jack, he's not that, he's not as liberal as the other members. One thing in particular is his stance on abortion. Um, he's very wishy-washy on it. He's very in the middle. Um, while he supports it, he, he still keeps to his Irish Catholic faith. And as many of you, of you listeners know, that's a big no-no in Irish Catholicism. So it's interesting to see him toe the line on being this, on, for representing what is clearly the most liberal county or, or district, I would say, in, in all of Massachusetts, and, and, and trying to find a balancing act between the two. I think one place Neil does really well in appealing to these rural voters is he focuses on rural issues. You know, a large part of his campaigns and his work in the House has been focused on rural infrastructure and rural broadband internet. Um, You know, he was talking just recently in the press about a $1.5 trillion package, you know, obviously for the entire country that would bring improvements to rail and um, T access for Western Massachusetts, as well as rural broadband. Because, you know, obviously this district and also to an extent the, the second district is, is very different from the rest of Massachusetts because it's a lot more rural and it doesn't have the MBTA. You know, we have the Framingham-Worcester line, but really that doesn't even extend into does Neil's it, district. Does it even have a rail line in, in those areas? Not, uh, I believe not connected to the MBTA. Oh, that's odd, really. That's really odd. Yeah, um, building off of what Jack said, he... Uh, this is not really a, a rural part of the district, but um, his his work getting money for Holyoke, which is coincidentally the home of his primary challenger, Mayor Alex Morse. He got $73 million um, in 2012 to rebuild Holyoke Station, which had been closed for half a century, which restored rail connection from Holyoke uh, to uh, the Amtrak system, which is pretty big for the district. And one thing, um, is that um, uh, is that Neil? He's a present fit. If you watch um, Boston TV, you see Neil with mayors. Um, Neil doing press conferences a lot like Marky. Marky might be uh, might seem quiet, but he's always doing these press conferences uh, that um, older voters will see at on the nine o'clock or eleven o'clock news. 
um, I just wanted to, to add that part about him being quite vocal um, in terms of local media. Yeah, it's interesting, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Julio. In 2018, in that primary, uh, Neil got about 70% of the vote in the district as a whole, and actually only got around 65% in Holyoke. So he clearly underperformed there compared to his district-wide margin and also his margin in Hampton County. Uh, but it also brings, the question, brings up the question, uh, his primary challenger, Alex Morris, as mayor of Holyoke, uh, there's probably a lot of room there for him to uh, to get votes and, and win the city in the in the primary. I mean, yeah, but but at the same time, Holyoke does not have that same uh, power that Springfield has. Holyoke's a, a big city, um, full of uh, young voters, uh, a lot of colleges there. Not bad, but it's like comparing uh, a filet mignon to a big cowboy steak. Now, obviously, preference. Uh, be darned, um, flavor or not flavor, but we're not talking about states, we're talking about Massachusetts here. Um, um, but it, it's just not a big machine for more to turn out. And, but, and Neil has such a grasp on Massachusetts one that it, it just makes it hard for anyone to really challenge him. Yeah, and just to add a number to your uh, Holyoke point, uh, in the 2018 primary, 4.5% of the votes came from Holyoke and 17% came from Springfield. Oh my God. That's pretty significant there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Morse can push it to six or seven or maybe even 8%. I think that probably is the kind of turnout he'll need to have a chance. But, you know, this is a completely different ball game from being mayor of Springfield to being mayor of Holyoke. I think the number that really damns Morse the most is is fundraising. You know, Neil has a lot of pull and a lot of connections being obviously a longtime House incumbent, but also the chair of Ways and Means. He's raised about $3 million over the course of this campaign versus Morse's 500000 which, you know, in, in a lot of other races, 500000 would be an impressive haul. Like, uh, he's raising more than a lot of the candidates in the 4th District, but I just don't think even with all that money and even with the relatively cheap media market out West, he really can't compete with Neil with those fundraising numbers. He, he it, 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 when I saw those fundraising numbers, it was way before Cod Cabin started. I think um, I was just, my jaw hit the ground. Like, wow, this is not a fair fight at all. Um, like you, you can't beat Neil in fundraising. He, he to, to put it bluntly, you kneel before Neil in terms of, of, of money. You just, it's a lot. It's a lot. He is the, he is the dawn of Massachusetts politics, to be perfectly blunt. Yeah, and in terms of fundraising, um, I think Morse got his biggest break this week when he got the endorsement of uh, New York's 16th district candidate, um, Jamal Bowman. And after Bowman put out an endorsement of him, uh, the only number Nor uh, Morse has released is that he got $5,000, which is not great, but, you know, maybe he's got uh, some more that he hasn't disclosed yet. But, you know, that's kind of pathetic for, you know, sorry to Mr. Morris, but that's kind of pathetic uh, when you think Jeez. about it. But, but, no, it does raise a point, and this is something I've been contemplating about as well. There is, I think, a significant difference between Alex Morris and the, the recent uh, wave of progressive candidates. Um, when you look at Charles Booker, uh, Jamal Bowman, um, the one who won uh, Virginia Five's primary, they ooze charisma. They, they have a lot of charisma in them. And 
um, politic, policy-wise or not, I think a lot of Democratic voters can appreciate Bowman and even just smile when you, you hear him talk. Um, I haven't really seen that with Morse. And the thing about progressiveness in 2020 is that you need to have that national uh, megaphone, like, like AOC, Presley, um, Bowman as well. And I don't see that with Morse. And I think that's kind of the, the, um, the problem is that he's running in Western Massachusetts, which is a quiet area and quiet politicians rule. Yeah, and I think, uh, sorry to Jack and Logan, but I'm just, um, I've looked at the numbers and you know, Ocasio-Cortez, Bowman and Presley all ousted older white members of the house. And um, their, their average, um, the white population in their districts averaged around 28%, while Neil's district is 71% white, which is pretty significant. And I'm not saying that minorities will just go vote for the minority, but you know, a lot of minority communities in the age of Trump are thinking about progressive alternatives to politicians that might be out of touch, like Elliot Engel, he said, I wouldn't be here unless I had a primary, which was basically killed him, I think, um, in the eyes of many of his constituents. And I think even if this district was somehow majority non-white, I mean, looking at the constituents in this, like the uh, Hispanic populations in Springfield, I think Neil would still do pretty well with them. I don't think there's really that much uh, disconnect between uh, Neil and any part of the district, really. I think it would be difficult, you know, obviously this is a very white district, you know, it's, it's Massachusetts, but even the largest, like Logan said, the largest community of color in terms of size is Springfield. And, you know, that, that is Neil's base. And I would really struggle to see any candidate break through in Springfield, even a, uh, a candidate of color. And I think that progressives, you know, like the ones in New York last week have had the most success, as Jesse said, in the kinds of changing districts where the incumbents don't necessarily fit anymore. And I, I don't think anyone would say that Neil isn't a good fit for his district right now. No, not at all. Um, I, I, a lot of people attribute Ayanna Presley's defeat of Cop uh, Copiano to, oh, there was a progressive wave. No, Copiano was put in a uh, minority district. Like, he was a puzzle piece that did not fit at all. Um, and, and with Neil, though, he fits perfectly. He fits the the character of Massachusetts one, he fits the people of Massachusetts one. Um, it also doesn't help that, uh, that Morse, again, has not really been out there being vocal um, compared to his uh, fellow progressive uh, candidates. He, he, I, I think COVID, again, hit the campaign hard and in an area like Springfield and Berkshire County, door knocking is a big deal there. And I think also with that, um, what I've heard with uh, the door knocking is that people can uh, change to phone banking, but and that's something very good for um, candidates who have online volunteers. I think Bowman might have been getting some online phone bankers. I'm not totally sure, but... He, he um, had a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, Alex Morse, who does have an online presence, but really hasn't been getting as much attention as the, these other primary challengers, won't be able to door knock, won't be able to phone bank, and doesn't have the money to send out uh, mailers to people. So it's, it's definitely uh, not looking too good for his strategy.
Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely possible for insurgents to win these types of campaigns without having a strong national presence. You know, before they won their primaries, you know, AOC wasn't a national figure. Uh, Ayanna Presley wasn't a national figure. But I think in the age of coronavirus, you know, these, these insurgent campaigns where volunteers can come from anywhere in the age of the internet and kind of have to come from everywhere because that kind of in-person campaigning is, is, has been suspended has become a lot more important. And that's why we're seeing a few cases like Jamal Bowman. So clearly this is a top up, toss up race, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, uh, I, I, I think it's safe, Neil, right now. Yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, unless um, something big changes, unless uh, Morse catches fire and becomes the next Jamal Bowman, this is safe, Neil. Safe, Neil, but I'm going to be a little controversial and say that I think Neil gets a little under 70% of the vote. Ooh, what, uh, what, what number are you thinking of? Like 69, 68? Very, very high 60s. But I, I think it'll be, I think Morse is a fundamentally decent candidate with a good amount of money. I just don't think, you know, not every race is necessarily winnable, and this is definitely not one of them. Yeah, I, I agree with Jack. I think uh, right now, certainly it's safe, Neil, but as the summer goes on, I think with Massachusetts having one of the latest primaries in this country, if there is still this uh, primary challenger uh, organization online, then Morse may get some last minute resources into his campaign and be able to uh, get a little in the low 30s, let's say, as a vote percent uh, with some help from the internet. Yeah, though. I, I do think that there is a bit of a problem here and there's a big shadow overclouding this primary and that of course is the Senate primary. This is the thing in Massachusetts four, it's the thing in Massachusetts eight. Um, it's just the one that overshadows everything and it overshadows Twitter, which trust me, talking about the Senate primary there is just an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, speaking uh, of the Senate primary, uh, do you think that either Markey or Kennedy uh, get out to vote efforts with specific groups might be helping either Neil or uh, Neil or uh, Morse. I think, you know, with the, if Kennedy decides to go and turn out Hispanics in Springfield, that seems to be uh, something that would help Neil as well. Yeah. Looking at the polling this week um, that was supposedly leaked to the Boston Herald that had Kennedy up double digits in the first district, I think, you know, we, we say that Kennedy and Markey would vote the same, but Kennedy leans a little bit to the right of Markey. Markey's clearly the progressive choice, the progressive darling in this election. And he's closely tied, you know, in terms of policy to Alex Morse. So uh, I think um, Alex Morse uh, might not get a lot of help if more attention came to this race. I think it might actually hurt him. I think Kennedy uh, would actively try to promote his colleague, uh, Richard Neal. And I think that could be um, a big problem for Morse if that happens. I mean, if, if there's one thing that Kennedy and Markey are probably going to agree on, it's getting Richard Neal back in, this, in the House. Um, they, they both uh, respect Neal. I think they both really like his work. They, they see him as one of the big faces of Massachusetts politics. Um, and I don't see a reason why they would support the, the incumbent, not the incumbent, uh, the challenger. And it, it just doesn't really add anything to it. What they're going to do is focus on um, either one of them has to win Springfield in order to win that district. 
Um, and if that Herald uh, report is correct, and even I'm skeptical of it, um, Markey needs to do a little more work there, and Kennedy needs to keep up what he's doing, apparently. And Richard Neal as well has endorsed uh, Ed Markey in the Senate primary, um, as, as along with most of the representatives from uh, Massachusetts. I'm wondering, do you think he'll be involved more so in the in the Senate primary as we get closer to uh, to September? Oh yeah, I think that'll be a real thing. I think um, Markey's gonna. Uh, I, I mean, I think Neil's going to do maybe a few events for Markey if that thing will be allowed in the coming months um, to shore up his support among the progressive wing of the party that might be um, leaning towards Morse or voting for Morse. I think he might be able to shed a few points off of uh, Morse's maybe 30, 35% vote share if that occurs. Yeah, I, I think if Markey, if we get into the fall, you know, to close to September and Markey really thinks that he's going to lose, he's going to call in every single favor that he's built up over his long career in the House. So I, I definitely think we'll be seeing as much from our congressional delegation, as much from Markey's endorsements than, you know, we they're willing to give Markey. You know, similarly to how we saw, you know, to keep coming back to New York, you know, pretty much everyone in the state of New York um, endorsed Elliot Engel leading up to the primary, Chuck Schumer, you know, even Hillary Clinton. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Markey tried to pull out all the stops, including Richard Neal. If Neal gets involved, then there's going to be a lot of money flowing towards Markey. The man knows how to fundraise. He knows, he knows how to attract voters. Um, you know, this is the, the key aspect of Massachusetts politics. Uh, wait your turn. And those out of line are like, nope, go back to square one. And Neil is going to try to help Markey uh, keep what the, I don't want to say status quo, but the norm of it right now. And I think, and as Jack said, um, Markey has built up so much relation in the house that he's going to bring out the big arsenal um, to take on Kennedy if, if the state allows campaign to go back on. So, when it comes to this primary, um, when we end up having the election, do you think Morse, I think Morse obviously will do well in his um, home city of Holyoke, but do you think there are certain areas of the district where he'll be able to, to uh, win? If I had to make a guess, I'd say some parts of um, <clears throat> Berkshire County. Maybe Lee he'll do okay in, maybe Pittsfield, but I doubt that. Um, I, it's, it's really hard to gauge where in, uh, Berkshire County he's going to do well in because it's liberal, it's very liberal, but it's not really super progressive. We want change liberal. It's the status quo, uh, blue till the day I pass, uh, liberal. It's a very hard place to gauge where Morse could gain support. Yeah, um, on my map of those two primaries that Neil has faced, um, four precincts have yet to have voted for him. Um, they went to the other candidates in 2012 and 2018. So I think um, Morse will probably win those four precincts. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know the geography of this area that well, so I don't know which towns they're in. But uh, just saying I watched those four precincts, and I think those will probably go to Morse in the end. Yeah, and I'm looking at the 
presidential primary map and there's a pretty good pretty good correlation of uh the 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 first district and areas where Biden won you can pretty much draw a line between the Biden and Bernie areas. And that would be roughly the border of the first district. Uh, there are some areas maybe around, maybe North of Springfield, n- maybe Northern Berkshire County or Southwest Berkshire County where Sanders has done well and other candidates, uh, some of Neil's opponents have done well in the past, but uh, it's a pretty solid Biden area throughout. So, uh, I'm guessing that Neil will have appeal through most of the district. I think we can, you know, obviously expect Morris to do pretty well, relatively at least in college towns. Um, you know, South Hadley, Great Barrington. One thing I thought was interesting about this district is it's it pretty much, you know, there's a little bit of space around it, but it pretty much goes right around Amherst, which is obviously a really big college town um, where UMass Amherst is. And, um, you know, this is obviously speculation, but I think that would be a pretty solid town for Morris if it were to be in the district, which I think it used to be. Yeah, the district has changed a lot. Um, last decade, Neil was representing the second district, but the first district was like Berkshire County, Hampshire County, and it actually went on the, in the north, on the north border, all the way over into a little bit of Middlesex County. So it used to be uh, much different, much more of like that western, the liberal progressive part of western Massachusetts. Um, and now it's been moved to a more Springfield center. Yeah, just one of my final thoughts um, before we have to sign off is that, you know, the first midterm of um, any president is usually one where members of the same party choose to retire. That's when um, the last holder of the seat, John Olver, retired in um, 2020. Wait, sorry. He retired in 2012, which was a presidential year. But uh, usually they'd retire um, during a midterm. I think Richard Neal might retire if Joe Biden wins um, this year. And I think Alex Morris would be the clear front runner if he does. I think. He's 71. Uh, what? He is 71. He's getting up. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting up there in age. He'd be uh, 73 in 2022. I've over retired at the age of 76, 75, 76. So um, he's around that age. I think uh, Morris would be the clear, clear front runner if. Uh, Neon chose to retire, and I think he's pretty much a dream candidate. He's a young guy. He's been a mayor for four terms, and I think he has a pretty bright future, um, even if he doesn't win this year. All right. Um, anything else we want to get off our chest? Yeah. Uh, the, oh, Jack, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I think that's all I got. All I'm going to say is, is that um, if this, this virus, when this virus goes away, the Berkshires is where I'm going first. I miss it. I miss it to death. Oh, I love that district. It's so much fun to look at. Totally agree. Well, uh, if that's all, I guess um, I'll, we'll end the episode here. Um, this was the Cod Cabin we just, uh, about Richard Neal special episode. I'm Logan. Uh, we had Jack, Jesse Hunt, Adam Bass, and uh, signing off for the Cod Cabin.